0: Hello, and welcome to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I'm very pleased to introduce you to my guest today, Betty Lee Crosby. In 1997, Betty abandoned the fast-paced world of advertising and embarked on a career as a novelist. Her books, frequently written in the Southern Voice, cover a wide spectrum of locales and personalities as they tell tales of courageous women overcoming life's ob- obstacles. She's the winner of several awards, including the Royal Palm Literary Award, and her books include Girl Child and Cracks in the Sidewalk. Welcome, Betty. Well, thank you, Bernadette.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. So um, it's very interesting to me that you... Um, you were in advertising how do you think your career in advertising um helped you in your writing career and how is it different
1: it's as different as night and day because i wrote for business and writing for business is a question of getting to the point quickly stating the facts and that's it Whereas when I first started writing fiction, I had to relearn the whole business of writing because the point is not to get to the point until like the very last chapter. It's the, in fi, in business writing, the destination is what's important. In fiction, the journey is what's important.
0: That you know what? That's a really interesting way to put it because I had a similar experience. I'm trained as a lawyer and I've been practicing law for twenty years and. In some ways, I think it's helped writing because I'm very familiar with language, right? And I'm used right. to making reading meeting deadlines. But um, but the the experience is very different. Obviously, writing a contract is very different from writing a romance novel. So um, so I, I find that interesting that um, that you that you found advertising so different because I would have thought they were a little more closely linked since advertising is very creative and you know much more creative than, than the legal world. It's true.
1: Actually, I started out as an artist, which is really kind of funny. I never really studied writing. I drifted into writing because it was something that was in my heart. Um, I started as an artist on the drawing board, and I was working for a packaging firm. And I'd design a soft goods package, and I was just a kid then. And, and I would say to the salesman, excuse me, sir, can I have some copy for the back cover? And they'd just blow me off, and they'd say... Oh, make something up. whatever you make up is okay. And you know, I did start writing, and it's I think the creative mind um finds itself in many different genres i don't think you in many different venues, I should say um i don't think you have just one limitation when you I tend to picture my characters. I can see them visually. I know exactly what they're like, and that's what brings them so to life. So I think the design aspect is still with me. I don't do it, but I picture the words I'm about to write as as a real scene.
0: Right. I, I agree with that. I, I almost feel like when you're doing something artistic, it it stimulates a different side of your brain um, than the the side that you use in business or you know, for me in in my legal um, career. Because before I started writing, um, about two years before I started writing, I went back to uh, music because I had always been interested in singing. And when I was in high school and college, I used to sing in various um, plays and, and choirs. And um, I, I just I had, but I hadn't done it for years and years and years. And I decided to join my church choir, believe it or not. And it was, you know, after a long absence, I almost felt like the singing kind of triggered something in me because after singing for a year and a half I I started getting interested in writing and I, I, I somehow I, I find that it's linked. Obviously I'm not a doctor so I can't say um, sure. But that but that's that was my experience is that once I opened myself up to one um artistic endeavor, uh others followed. So I think um, that's
1: true. I think that's so
0: true. Uh, um creative um
1: um work It just feeds on itself, and it just grows. I mean, one idea leads to another, and um, it's just an expansion of
0: your thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Now, your books are, um, you say that they're written in the southern voice, although you are originally a northern girl, correct?
1: Well, my family was from the south, and we lived there when I was a child. But to tell you the truth, I really grew up mostly in New Jersey. Everyone laughs because when I do speaking engagements, they'll say, Oh, you don't sound like I thought you would. Um, um, You write in a Southern voice, but you don't sound like a Southerner. I can tell you're from New Jersey by the way you say coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess New Jersey people have a certain way of saying it. It sounds normal to me, but I guess everyone else catches it. But, um, yes, my family was from the South, and it's my Southern mom that really um, inspired me to be not just a writer, but a storyteller, and I, that's how I think of myself. I think of myself as a storyteller, and words are the vehicle that I use to get my story told. My mom. Well, I think
0: that's interesting that you say your mom was such an um, an influence, because I have a, a very similar experience. I mean, a lot of my characters are Irish or Irish American, but a lot of them are Irish, and I'm able to catch the cadence. Of the Irish way of speaking, which is you know they speak English, but it 's a little different from the way we speak here on long island um, and I think that 's because I grew up around my mother, who was irish born my mm-hmm. father 's mother was irish born and I think in my you know early years that 's what I heard, and so that 's what comes out um so i and, and and I think i I was able to capture a lot of that almost without thinking because I grew up in it. So maybe that's, you know, you. it sounds like you had a similar experience. In right, terms of... it just
1: naturally because it's the voice you heard in your ear all your life. And the funny thing is if I read a, a novel that's written in a southern voice and it wasn't really written by a southerner, I can pick it out in a heartbeat because it's not just a question of saying you all every few lines. Um, it's a whole. It's a way of thinking. It's not just a way of speaking. It's a way of thinking also.
0: And and, and I'm the same way. I've, I was reading a book. I was a couple of years ago, and it was supposed to be. Um, the main character was from Ireland, and I was like, this is just really, really off. And I looked up the author, and he was from like Norway or someplace. <laughs> so that's why it was like so. You know, just slightly off. So it, it just didn't feel authentic to me. So um, and your books now. Would you characterize them more in the women's fiction vein, or is there some romance element? I would say that they're women's fiction, but
1: I think there's a there's an element of romance in a lot of them. Not the kind of heaving, panting romance you would expect from a true romance novel, but the kind of romance that comes with like a flicker of an eyelash, or a brushed kiss, or the feeling of missing someone or things like that, the the subtleties. And I, I love that because it allows the reader to use their imagination and see the scene just as they want to see it. And I think that's the magical thing about books. That's what books give people, that movies just do not. Movies lay it out in front of you, and they're wonderful, and I love going to the movies, but books, Causes you to think it causes you to picture the character in your mind to put yourself in that scene
0: right I agree and then and, and it's it's a much less passive and, and you know when you're reading it's active you know like you said Absolutely. you have to picture everything as opposed to a movie you just kind of kick back and let you know let the, <laughs> the movie tell you what to think as opposed right. to you kind of being part of the character that's why I mean I think that's why I've always been a bookworm I've it's it's such a um, an escape from the everyday because you're so especially a good book really grabs you and and pulls you into that world. Um, so, what authors would you think would you say are similar to your work? Is, is um, there anyone it, think of that I, would be similar?
1: It's very hard to say you're similar to an author, and you know I guess we all strive for our own individuality, but. Some of the authors that I think kind of skate near the edge of it that uh, or I skate near the, their edges would be um, maybe Christian Hannah or um, uh, Sarah Addison Allen because Christian Hannah has the warmth of heart in her stories that I usually incorporate. I almost always have a happy ending. <laughs> I'm just a happy ending gal. And um, – uh, Sarah Addison Allen has the magic, the, the dancing on the edge of what can be real and what cannot be real. And it's that wonderful possibility that's just on the fringe that I think triggers people's imagination, and it just gets them very into the story. It's not flat-out magic. It's not a flat-out supernatural, but it's got that touch of whimsy that could or couldn't be.
0: Well it's interesting how women's fiction, um, it kind of blends with a lot of different genres because I, I think you know, what I write is it's been characterized by as romance because I'm most of my books are published with a romance publisher. But they could just as easily be characterized as women's fiction. Um and because I think romance has is, is is also so broad because you know Kristen Hannah when you mentioned her I automatically think of her as a romance writer. I mean she's obviously not like, you know, E. L. James in Fifty Shades. She's a different type of romance writer. But um you know, I, I, I think romance and, and women's fiction, like you said, I think the line is sometimes a little blurry and but I think that's okay. I, I think basically they're they're heartwarming stories that appeal to women. Yes. Um I find now, it
1: very hard to to categorize my books. And I think that's probably true of all women's fiction because there are so many genres that you could say. There's a little bit of romance. There's a little bit of mystery. There's a little bit of a heartwarming story. So you put all those things together. I think when you write for a female audience, you write much deeper. You you go into the psychological aspects of your characters, whereas you're not really writing a a solely plot-driven story. You're writing a story about people, and those people have to come alive. And I think women readers look for that. They want to attach themselves to the characters. They want to either like a character or dislike a character. But the worst sin that you can commit is to write a book where they get halfway through, and they really don't care what happens to the characters. I mean,
0: that's... that's the death knell of any book. I agree with you 100%. And I think the difficulty for, for those of us, because it, it sounds like our writing styles in some way are similar, in the sense that we don't like to be pigeonholed. But in order to sell your books, um, publishers and agents and, and and editors want you, they want to be able to put you in a category so that people can find you, so readers can find you and say, oh, I like Kristen Hanna. Well, I like Betty Lee Crosby's book as well. Um, but, but yet, you still want to be unique. So that's that's sort of the the difficulty that I think a lot of writers have. Um, now, you had mentioned to me that um, your books are you, you don't work through a publisher, but you work um, with your husband. Maybe you can explain to us a little bit about about the public, about your publishing process.
1: Um, this was a very exciting journey. It, it had a lot of pitfalls and um, a lot of successes. And originally. When uh, my my first book that was published was girl child it's now off the market and it's been republished under its, its original name which was the 12th child and my original publisher I was such a newbie at that point honestly I just I didn't even know the questions to ask which is something that is a downfall for all new authors and I they offered me a contract for seven years and I accepted it and um they published the book, but when they published it, I had nothing to say about the pricing, and they priced it at 1995 for a paperback book. Now, it started to do reasonably well. Was it flying off the shelves? No. It was, you know, but it was climbing up in the ranking, you know. And um, after it started to do well, they raised the price to twenty four ninety five, and when they did that, I said, "Oh, this is just adding insult to injury," and I just wouldn't promote the book anymore or anything. Well, I was very fortunate that I, I had that seven year contract. I said, "I'm just going to wait until my contract is out," because that was the only book I contracted with them for. Um, so I was set to wait until the contract was up, and then about three. And a half years into the contract, um ebooks began to get more and more popular, and they approached me because they only had the print rights, mm-hmm. and they approached me and said, "We'd like to get the rights to do your ebook also and i of course I said, "No, I mean, you know, if they overpriced that, there was nothing to lead me to believe they wouldn't overprice the ebook also." So I turned them down, and they came back to me, and they said, "Well, in that case, if you want to buy back the rights to your book, you can." So I did, and my oh, okay. husband was looking for a new venture at the time, and I said to him, "What do you think of becoming a publisher?" And he at first said, "Not much," <laughs> <laughs> but um, I talked him into the idea, and he started to get into it. And now he handles all of my books. He handles all of the uh, uh, production aspects and pricing aspects and ordering and record-keeping and all of the things like that. He does a good bit of social media with me. Um, so really it's worked out wonderfully. And. The funny thing is we both work out of the house. He has an office upstairs and I have an office downstairs. And you would think we spend tons of time together, but we really don't. We're each in our respective offices doing our jobs, and we meet for lunch and dinner. <laughs> and other than that, we're pretty much like full-time working people. I write all the time. I write almost every day. And, oh, that's um, nice. he's busy at work up there with the production aspect of
0: it. And now, does he, agree? Um, has he expanded to cover other authors, or does he just cover your work? He's just
1: covering mine right now. I
0: don't know that going
1: down the road that he won't accept other offers, but for now, he's just doing mine.
0: And does he do, – now, who does the editing of your book and creation of the um, the covers for your books?
1: I have – I have separate people. I have someone who is a wonderful editor, and I love her editing because she first reads the whole manuscript to get the feeling of the story. Then she goes back and edits, and she edits three times. She edits once that's solely for typos or misused words. Then she edits for uh, adjusting phrases back and forth. And then she does the final proofing, so she's awesome. Then I have a gentleman. I, I used to uh, several years back. I did some freelance work for an ad agency, and um, the gentleman who owns the ad agency, or is a major partner in it, is a friend, and um, he does my covers, and he does a wonderful job of it. I'm so thrilled with what he does. It's FC Edge here in Florida, and. Um, and my formatting I have a girl who does the formatting. So Wow, that, so
0: you're completely covered it sounds like.
1: It was and what a boon, I'll tell you that when we first started, I was looking at various things, not so much the covers because I had him from square one. But um not so much the covers but the other aspects of it. And oh that was just horrendous. No one anyone who is seriously writing and, and wants to build a career of becoming an author really needs to have those support services because, yes, you can probably struggle through without having them, but the truth is your work product will suffer and your, your life will suffer because you'll just be so, what's Writing comes so easy to me. I sit down and I fall into my own little world while I'm writing. But when I start doing something like trying to format an e-book,
0: oh, it's like I'm sweating blood and tears. (laughs) And it's it's, not your skill set. And I I think that's what happens is a lot of uh, people who want to go the self-publishing route they say, oh, I can just do it all. And, you know, so one portion of the book is going to suffer. You just cannot – I mean, very few people are talented enough to do everything. And so – and then the writer will will see, well, if one part of the book it doesn't work, maybe the whole book doesn't work, and maybe I'm just not going to bother buying this book. So I agree with you. I think if you're going to go the self-publishing route – You have to have the resources. Either you have to pay for the resources or, you know, have to marry the resources like you did. But somebody, you know, you have to put your best foot forward because otherwise you're going to produce something that's subpar. And, and, you know, what's the point of that, you know? You know, Um,
1: being a novelist is like being in any business. There's an upfront investment. There really is. I mean, even if you're self-published, there is. If you want your product to be in the marketplace and compete with the traditionally published books, you have to be as good, maybe better.
0: Exactly. I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your favorite book is that you've done to date or maybe talk about your favorite character. Um, Oh,
1: I this is pretty easy. I do have a favorite. And you know, I'm I feel like a mother, I'm not supposed to choose between my children. <laughs> but I think my favorite is Spare Change. And um it's a delightful story about a woman who's in her 50s and she's it takes place it starts at the turn of the century. And um, it takes place when in the 20s she leaves home determined that she's not going to marry because babies weigh a woman down like um, a bag of stones in your pocket. And she's set on being a career woman. She doesn't marry until she's 50, and over in her 50s. And um, she has a ton of superstitions. She believes 11 is the unluckiest number in the world. She thinks Opals are unlucky. She's just got all these funny superstitions. It's it's kind of whimsical humor as well as a story with great depth. Then but there's two stories that come together and the other half of the story is um she does get married in her 50s and she marries a man who has a son that he's pretty estranged from and the son has a child And that child's name is Ethan Allen. His mother never particularly wanted a baby to begin with. She married her husband because she thought he'd take her to New York and be a showgirl. So she ended up with a baby. Well, what happened was this murder, and the parents are lost. And it's a long story, but the little boy is he's seen who did the murder and he's trying to get away and he's this tough little kid with he's a real survivor he has a wonderful way of talking and and he talks directly to the reader in many cases and he's just he's just so delightful he warmed his way into my heart as he has his readers i get more comments saying oh i just wanted to take him home and adopt him (laughs) and (laughs) so he's probably my favorite character as a matter of fact i'm now working on a sequel to spirit change and i have never <laughs> done a sequel before but so many people said oh i hope there's more about him
0: so well I, that's what yeah i you know with my um my Devlin legacy series that was originally supposed to be just one book but sometimes you know uh, a character kind of grab you and and you still have more to say about the story now, I, so I, I can understand why you do a sequel, and but the challenge I think in doing a sequel is, you know, dealing with the same characters but not writing the same book. You have right. to have something new to say and, new, yes. and a different side to show to those characters, um, because otherwise, I think I think it just gets boring. But well, good luck on good luck on that that second book. I understand that you've also written a biography of somebody.
1: Yes, I wrote a me- it's actually a memoir because we did it. More based on her life experiences than the facts of her life, mm-hmm. and um, it was a memoir. This one I don't own um, because I was paid to do it. They
0: approached me.
1: And, oh, um, so you
0: wrote you wrote the the you were like the writer for somebody else's story. Is that is that it? Correct, correct. And right. it's the story of a woman. The reason I accepted the the job I'm
1: I don't really do that kind of thing, but. This woman was so fascinating to me. She had a diving accident and um, ended up a quadriplegic when she was 17, and she ended up being a quadriplegic, and she lived to age 73. She just passed away last summer, and she had the most awesome attitude imaginable. She was so positive about everything, and do you know she said to me, if I could change one thing in my life, I would not change anything. Wow. That's that's amazing amazing. if you're a quadriplegic. Do you know she adopted, she got married, she adopted a baby right out of the hospital, a six-day-old baby she adopted and raised him. He's now the president of her company. And she's listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's longest living quadriplegic.
0: And what's the name of that book?
1: A Life in the Land of Is, I-S.
0: Oh wow, that sounds and and was that a very different experience than writing fiction? I would imagine it would be.
1: Um, it wasn't nearly as different as you might think, at least the style that I had it written in. Because it's almost like fiction in that you're telling a life story, you're telling the story of these events. So the style is very similar. Not it's not really that's what I meant about it. it's not a biography, it's really a memoir. And mm-hmm. as you're reading it, you could believe you were reading a fiction book, but it isn't. It's based on her true life. And it was, it was a lot of fun to do, but a lot of work. I spent a year and a half doing that book.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Because you can't just make things up, right? <laughs> they have to be based in reality. And maybe, I- um, we're almost running out of time, but maybe you could just t- spend a minute or two talking about um, what you've done in terms of promotion and maybe give our listeners um, some, you know, wh- where they can find you in social media.
1: Okay. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at... Betty, B-E-T-T-E, Lee, L-E-E, Crosby, C-R-O-S-B-Y. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere under my own name, so I'm real easy to find. I'm on Goodreads with an author page, an Amazon author page, and everything is under Betty Lee Crosby. I also have a blog that's very interesting and um, fun to follow because the newsletter uh, subscribers get peeks into upcoming books, and everyone's waiting for that first chapter about the Ethan Allen story. <laughs> and um, that's www.bettyleecresby.com. dot com. So easy, again, easy to follow, <laughs> easy to find me anywhere.
0: And, and what, have you done anything special in terms of promotion or? Yes,
1: I have. I I did. I, you know, I joined uh, first. I had my books on both Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and then um, actually, my husband suggested that we give it a shot with Amazon Select so that we could do more promotion. Because I do think that when you're in the Select program, your books become a lot more visible on Amazon. And whether we want to accept it or not, they are the gorilla in the room. And so, so um, that's
0: been the the, the main um, focus. You've done the traditional. Uh, promotion, and then also, uh, you know, some of these special programs on, on Amazon. Yes, um, I did. And, You know, I wanted to do
1: the free days because my biggest challenge was not getting people to like my books. My biggest challenge was getting them to even find them. So I did. Well, I think that's everyone's challenge, Betty. <laughs> that's
0: certainly been mine.
1: <laughs> I did a free day. I did two free days with spare change, and they had forty-two thousand seven hundred downloads.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And did that lead to sales for you, you think? That. Were other books?
1: That Absolutely. Absolutely. They feed across the board because all of my books are in the same genre. So it tends to be, and I had so many people when they, then reviews really started to come in. And I had so many people that wrote, I love this author's work. I'm going to see what else she has. And that's what led to the cross sales of the other books. And since I did that free day, um, spare change hit a number one bestseller in, in the uh, historical mystery categories, and it has stayed ranked in the top one hundred of historical mysteries um, since then. And that was last September.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well. Betty, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us here on on Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. It's been really interesting to hear about your your journey. And um, I just wanted to tell everyone um, some of my upcoming shows on Nice Girls uh, Reading Naughty Books. I have Bianca Dark is coming up soon. And um, she is just a fantastic um, p- fantasy writer. She's written over 20 books. So I hope everyone will check in and um, and listen to that show. Also, I have... Quite, for all of my new listeners, since I'm now a premium blog talk radio show, uh, I, would, I would urge everyone to um, check out my shows in the archives. I've had some wonderful interviews with a lot of um, some authors and also um, editors and a publisher and a cover artist. So I've tried to touch on my and program different parts of the publishing industry. So I really um, suggest that everyone try and check out those shows on the archives. You can also find all of the shows listed on my um, my web web page, BernadetteWalsh.com. Uh, also, wanted to alert everyone to the fact that um, the House on Prospect, which is my fiction title, is um, is available. And I wanted to remind everyone that. All of the 2013 royalties are going to my charity of choice, Project Nicaragua. And if you go on my website, BernadetteWalsh.com, you can find out all about the House on Prospect and also all about uh, Project Nicaragua. Um, Also a reminder that my third book in the Devlin Legacy series, Devil's Daughter, will be coming out April 1st, and I'm very, very excited about that. And you can see the cover and an excerpt. (laughs) From Devil's Daughter and all of my books in the Devil and Legacy. So please give them a try. They are very reasonably priced. So, um, and I hope that you enjoy it. Anyway, thanks so much Betty for, for joining us and thanks for everyone else who joined us on Nice Girls Reading Good Reading Um Naughty Books. Until next time, this is Bernadette Walsh. Bye bye. 18 plus.